I've entitled this sermon, Pray When It Hurts. John 16, is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Matter of fact, in your life groups, you're going to talk about that verse this week and, and uh, discuss that a little bit in your small groups and what that means for our lives. But it says this, it's Jesus talking, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Huh, there's a lot of teaching given to Christians or followers of Christ today that if you do everything right, you won't have trouble. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, in this life you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. We tend to think that all of our hard times are not of God. That's not true. Sometimes they are from God. He's allowing it for some good purpose, to build us, to show his glory through our lives. As a matter of fact, you find one person, man or woman of God in the Bible, who did anything substantial for the Lord, and you'll find trials all around it, all around their lives. Because we're in a fight. Our, our, we're, we're in a battle in this life. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness. And there is a God in heaven, and there, there is a devil who roams this earth. And we have to fight to win. I, I don't quite get it. It's how, how we understand you have to fight in football and you have, to, you have to fight in business to get ahead, but we don't understand it in the kingdom of God. Several years ago, my son was uh, a ninth grader playing football, actually an eighth grader for a city team here in Tualatin. And he was practicing and a couple girls from his class came up and um, I was talking to them. I was on the hillside right over here at Tualatin High School, a field behind my house. And uh, Aaron got in in this scrimmage twice, two plays in a row, and sacked the quarterback. And uh, the coach on the offensive side of the ball said, what's the matter with you guys? Who's got Russell? Somebody get him. And the very next play, Aaron got through again, passed this guy, and a halfback hit him so hard, he just blew him up. Aaron didn't see him coming. Later he would say to me, I didn't know how hard you could get hit when you didn't know what was coming. That's the hardest he'd ever been hit. And, and right as he was just blown up on that play, one of the girls beside me said, which player is Aaron down there? And I said, oh, he's down there somewhere. That's the best, that's the best I could do to cover him, you know. Uh, but here's the deal. You play football, you want to play well, you're going to get hit hard sometime. And I'm going to tell you, you want to do this thing in life called the church, you want to be a believer of Christ, you go hard, you give your all, you're going to get hit hard sometime. And you've got to learn to take a hit. And you've got to learn to say, all right, people get hit. We can't get mad at God and say, God, where are you? Or God, why don't you care about where I'm at? He does care. He does love. We're in a battle. There's a place called heaven where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Where the old order passes away. It's called heaven. This is not heaven. I still believe that the best life on earth is, to, is life in Jesus. But I don't believe that if you're going to live for the Lord, you'll never have trouble. When we pray, we must pray with this in mind. Let me pray now. Father, I pray that you would reveal the truth that sometimes you call us into a battle. But you have purpose, God. You have purpose for everything you do, and you're good. And as our friend Donnie said, there's someone on the other side, if we work through it, that we can reach and bless who needs what you're putting into our hearts. So God, reveal your truth to us today through your son, Jesus Christ, who prayed when he hurt. In Jesus' name, amen. First point today from this passage we're going to look at, the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what we're talking about today. Sometimes we hurt, but that doesn't mean God's not for us. Sometimes we hurt, but it doesn't mean he's not for us. Matthew 26, 36. 
Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and these are the three that were closest to him. Jesus had the twelve, he had the three, and he had the one. The three were these three, the closest to him was John. His best friends are with him. And he became anguished. Now listen, this is the Son of God, this is Jesus Christ, this is the Prince of Peace. Listen to what he went through. He became anguished and distressed, and he told them, my soul is crushed. Jesus was crushed. Crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here. And keep watch with me. These days, followers of Jesus Christ have too many teachers telling them that it's all about life enhancement. That's, that's why you need to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, I was looking at this sermon and praying this morning. I said, Lord, this looks like a sermon that could empty the church, not fill it, you know. But, but you, can't, you can't think that way as a preacher because we're kingdom people, right? We're not grow horizon. We're grow the kingdom. And if five people give themselves completely to Christ because they hear this today, the nations could be shaken. And so here we have Jesus headed towards a cross purposefully, not wanting pain because he's not a masochist, but understanding that he's going to have to endure for something good. It's not about comfort and riches when it comes to following Christ. Riches are the least of God's blessings. I'm not saying they're bad, but the pursuit of them when they own you is bad. It's not about just being comfortable. It's about the kingdom of God and advancing it while we're here on this earth. Here's a passage that shows you that Jesus didn't really think of just life enhancement. And listen, on another day, I can't preach it all on one Sunday. On another day, I talk about the love of God. I talk about the blessings of God. He'll give provision uh, even with material things at times. But today, you let me go today, all right? Today, I'm I'm telling you about this call to go hard for the things of God. Mark 8, 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, "If If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. Wow. What is the cross a sign of? It's a sign of hardship. He had nails driven in his hands and his feet. He had the crown of thorns pressed upon his head. He had the spear thrust into his side. That's what the cross meant. Now, the cross also meant that joy would come to us someday because we're going to be forgiven because the wrath of God against sin fell on Jesus so it wouldn't fall on us. He was paying the price. But he was willing to do it for you and me. He was willing to sacrifice himself for us. And he tells us, I want you to take up your cross That doesn't sound like life enhancement, does it, a cross? That sounds like a mindset that says, I'm going to work for this team, the kingdom of God. I'm going to be willing to take a hit, and I'm going to give my all so that the glory of God can be shown in this earth and people can come to Jesus Christ. Verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What is the good news? We sang about it just a few minutes ago, the blood of Jesus that was deliberately, willfully shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You've heard me say before, I don't like the word spilled. I I, I don't want to criticize someone because I think, you know, the blood of Jesus was spilled. Spilled's an accident. He did it on purpose. That's what he came for. And he had you and I in mind. 
Good things happen when people completely sell out for the kingdom. When they sell out to God. I heard someone say, the world is yet to see what can happen when a man or a woman is completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Have you heard the name David Livingstone? One of the great missionaries ever in Africa. He stood before the University of Glasgow students and was introduced by the chancellor, God's missionary. And when Livingstone stood up and walked to the front of the platform to speak to the group of university men, the students looked at him earnestly, this text says. They saw his hair burnt to a crisp under the torrid tropical sun. They saw his body wasted and emaciated from jungle fever that had overtaken him. They saw his right arm hanging limp at his side because it was destroyed by the attack of a ferocious African lion. And when the students looked at God's missionary, they stood up with one accord in awe, but they didn't clap. They just stood in silence before God's missionary. When someone is willing to give it all, a nation can be shaken. David Livingstone did an incredible work of God, and in Africa it started many years ago because of men like him. Oswald Chambers says this, if you're going to be used by God, he'll take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They're meant to make you useful in his hands. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And if this sounds weird, I'm just, I just want to remind you, it's in the Bible. I'm reading it from the Bible. So, that, so, so let me do that line again. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. My family is going through some trials right now. But you know what we're doing? We're just hanging on to God. We don't get it in some of the areas where things are happening. But we love him and we trust him. And we believe he's up to something. And I, I've come to the place in my life, I hope this doesn't sound weird, and uh, um, I hope it's, it's not in any way braggadocious. But I've come to the place in my life where I love him so much and trust him so much that I feel safe saying, Lord, if it pleases you to bruise me, then bruise me. The Bible talks about Jesus and it says that he was bruised for our trans transgressions and it pleased God to bruise him. Why? Why did it please God to bruise him? Because there was something that was happening that would change the world and open the door for all to come back to God in relationship. It was happening. That's why it pleased him. And it might please the Lord to let us go through a trial so his glory can be seen on the other side of it. And so I say, Lord, if it's for you, that, I just need to know it's, you know, that he's with me. That's all I need to know. That he's, that he's, he's got me and, and, and this is not just the enemy attacking because we know he can attack, right? And sometimes he'll attack because we're doing something from God. But but God loves me. He loves you. And if he's allowing you to go through a trial, stop asking. If your prayers only circle around the thought that you want the trial to go away, you may miss what he's trying to do. He's trying to build you up. He's trying to make you a witness. He's given you a testimony sometimes. 
I know we bring it on ourselves sometimes. That's not exactly what I'm talking about, sin that would hurt ourselves. I'm talking about a trial that comes when we're doing things right. And we love him. But we can trust him. And you know what we have a hope in our family for? The joy of seeing his glory on the other side of this. This morning, um, uh, you know, I had this, this um, surgery, and, I, and I'm lisping a little bit. It seems worse today than before. I'm, I'm numb on my right lip. And at the end of the altar call, I, I was speaking, and I went something like that, you know. It's like, what, 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 what happened there? Uh, <clears throat> and, and, but I can't help it, right? So here's the deal. I'm just going to preach, right? And I might be the lisping preacher, but I'm going to preach and lift up and lift up Jesus. Because I'm not a person who thinks that everything's supposed to be peachy keen all the time. I'm a person who's in it and knows you've got to take a hit every now and then. And let's go. Let's do something for Jesus. Let's give our all. Because on the other side is joy that's amazing. Not only for our lives, but for the lives of others. And that's what God wants us to have a heart for us. Not only ourselves, but his kingdom growing in the hearts of others. Second thought. We need to pray for God's will and not our own. So vivid here in the Bible. We tend to give our prayer list to God about what we want Him to do for us. And rarely does our human nature bring us to a place where we'll say, God, but if that's not what you want for me, then, then bring what you want for me. Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further, still talking about Jesus. He bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this suffering be taken away from me. See, he, he, he wasn't a masochist, and neither am I, and neither should any believer be. He wasn't begging for pain. He wanted the pain to go away, but he was willing to endure for our sake, if it be God's will. And he knew it was. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. The most effective prayer, we're talking about prayer these weeks, right, is a prayer that deliberately submits to the will of God. Because you understand that he's good, that he's loving. Now, you say, well, this doesn't sound like it will make my life all that great if I have to take some hits for God. Listen, um, it will make your life more fulfilled. That longing of fulfillment in our hearts happens when we totally fall in sync with his will for our lives and we start to see amazing things happen as God works through our lives to bless others. I remember when I first surrendered to the ministry, I did surrender. I didn't want to be a preacher. It took a while, but I got there. I remember the day that someone came to Jesus after I preached the first time. I thought, oh, my word. Eternity was just affected. I remember the feeling in my heart um, of the blessing to know that I get to partner with him. I said it in the first service. Now, you see, you think, well, this is hard, but think, think of it in business terms for just a moment. What if you had a, a private business that was going well and one of the top 20, a Fortune 20 company, a business in America called you and said, you know what, we heard about you, we like what you're doing, we want to work with you. Would you consider working with our business? Well, you know, and here they are, they're just famous and they're well-known and they've discovered you and you have this decision to make. It's flattering. Well, think of that scenario and then think of this, that the King of kings and the Lord of heaven, the, the, Lord, the Lord of lords, the, the Lord of heaven has looked down upon you and said, you know what, I kind of like you, I want to work with you. 
He wants to work with you. We get to work with him. That's what makes this so exciting and so amazing. And this means putting his interest first in our lives, right? If we're going to get on board with him, then we put him first. James Montgomery Boyce, a, a wonderful pastor, Presbyterian pastor that passed away a few decades ago, said this, Our concern should be for God's kingdom and God's glory rather than our own. Our concern should be for God's kingdom and God's glory rather than our own. Now, I'm just, it's my opinion, but I, I'm just going to say that I don't believe most Christians live there. That their lives are all about that the number one thing would be God's kingdom and God's glory. Jesus said it this way, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus accepted the cross and its pain because he knew God was going to bring glory to himself through his trial. And if we'll sell out, we'll see God bringing glory to himself through our lives too. And sometimes it won't be easy. Sometimes we will get hit hard. But we'll have this fulfillment in our hearts, this amazing adventure we're on where we see the kingdom being built everywhere and the joy of the Lord will reside in our hearts even in difficult times. Hebrews 12 Verse 1, we see it here. Jesus is talking about, it's talking about how Jesus did it, and, and, and it's, then it comes to us and about how it's similar for us. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. So you know the joy awaiting him, it's you. It was you knowing that you and I would be able to receive the salvation and, and be reconnected with the Father and have Jesus living in our hearts. We were his joy. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not given your lives in your struggle against sin. If we were smart, if we had wisdom, we would pray for God's will and not our own. In the everyday things of life, you know, we'll, we'll, you know there's the selling out thing, but then there's just the, the, the little everyday things of your finances. That if you pray the will of God, your job, where you should be, Mark Batterson in his book, Draw the Circle, we're going through it this week, right? A few hundred of us. He tells the story about the sale of a house. He says this, a few years ago, Laura and I <clears throat> were house hunting on Capitol Hill. He's from Washington, D.C. We had lived on the hill since 1996 when we were fortunate enough to buy a 100-year-old row home during a buyer's market. As our kids got bigger, our 15-foot-wide row home seemed to get smaller. So we started looking for a larger place. We discovered our dream home less than a block away, and we decided to make an offer. But we also knew our financial limits. And after praying about it, we came up with the best offer that we could make and felt like we'd give it as a fleece to God. If God wanted us to have the house, the owner would accept our offer. With the real estate market lagging at the time, on market increasing, we were confident the seller would accept our offer. He did not. 
as much as we wanted the house, and as tempted as we were to go beyond our predetermined offer, we walked away. He says, we'd already done the interior decorating in our imagination, so we were definitely disappointed. But we also had complete peace because we had prayed about it. Now, there's more to the story, but before I say that, l- let me tell you about this. When, um, when I, there was a time in my college career that I played basketball at a college named Judson Baptist. It was on the same campus where Bible Temple is. As a matter of fact, those dorms where they have students now was a dorm that I was at, dorms that I was at in, in college there. Uh, the, the, the college moved and eventually sold to Bible Temple, but they moved to the Dalles where they started uh, a, a, in, a, in a hospital that had been abandoned up there. They bought a campus in the Dalles. Any, anybody uh, know what's happening with Judson Baptist now? You, you don't because it's gone, and here's why. Story goes that the president of the college and the elders at, at that time, or the board rather, uh, made a decision that they'd make an offer and if God wanted them to have that campus in the Dalles, that uh, th- they did a fleece just like this, that he would give it to them on this offer. And if they didn't take the offer in the Dalles, then they wouldn't buy the campus. So they made the offer. The hospital there did not take it. And they went back and talked and they made another offer. And they didn't take that and they made another offer. They didn't take that. And the third time they took their offer well, that's not what they said they were going to do after they prayed, right? They felt like they heard from the Lord. That's why Judson Baptist does not exist today. The few students that they had, because it fell apart for them financially when they got up there, were melded into Corbin in Salem. And I have some school records there in Corbin. They're not good records either, by the way, but, but, they're, but they're there. <clears throat> now, Will of God doesn't seem so bad if you're looking for it when you think of these two stories, right? Would you, you'd rather have it than not because you get in trouble when you don't have it sometimes. Here's his story. He said, we stopped looking at homes for a year. Then one night as we drove by the house, we tried to purchase. Laura said, do you ever feel like that's the house that got away? We'd driven by this house a hundred times and Laura had never said such a thing as this. But her casual comment must have been a subconscious prayer because the next morning, a for sale sign went up in the yard. And that's when I had a holy hunch that God's no a year earlier was really a not yet and was about to turn into a divine yes. What Laura and I didn't know is that the owner had never sold the house. It sat on the market for 252 days with no buyer and then was taken off the market. When the same owner put the house back on the market, we decided to make the same offer. It was a calculated risk because he'd already said no once, but it was another prayer fleece. We told our real estate agent it was our final offer, and we were willing to walk away a second time, but this time the owner accepted the offer, and God answered our prayer, and one year after we thought he would, we thought that the answer was no, but it was actually not yet, and it had turned into a yes. Then he says, now here's the icing on the cake. By waiting a year to buy the house, our house actually went up in value by 10% because the real estate market in D.C. had rebounded. So we got our dream house for the same amount of money and sold our house for a lot more money than we would have a year earlier. The will of God's not so bad. It's just not so bad. That's why we need to pray for it. He cares about it. He loves us. He's helping us. And even in the practical things of everyday life, we need to pray for the will of God. We may want our kids to go to college in a certain place. Maybe it's because we went there. 
We may have plans for our children, but you know what? You better submit your children to the will of God. You better pray and get in a journey with them and say, God, where do you want my child to be? Help them discover that. Because we get predetermined things in our mind. It, we, it causes trouble sometimes. Here's an illustration about the will of God when it comes to selling out. I was just speaking of earlier. We all know about Mother Teresa, right? The incredible life she had. She's been gone for, I believe, a few decades now. At times in her life, Mother Teresa felt abandoned by God. She would say this as she would speak to people. One day, she'd been walking the streets of Calcutta, searching for a house where she could start her work. At the end of the day, she wrote in her diary, I wandered the streets the whole day. My feet are aching. I have not been able to find a home. And I also get the tempter telling me, leave all this. Go back to the convent from which you came. But she pressed through. She was asking for the will of God. She was believing God to do something. She wanted to help the people of Calcutta and India. And eventually, Mother Teresa found her home. She called it the Missionaries of Charity. And the work began small, but today, even after she's gone, they feed, the Missionaries of Charity feed 500,000 families a year in Calcutta. 500,000 a year. They treat 90,000 leprosy patients a year, the missionaries of charity. They educate 20,000 children a year in Calcutta because one little old lady was willing to let her feet hurt, hear the enemy berate her, and press through. Say, God, I want your will. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. She was willing to sacrifice and do his will, not the easy thing, and look at the results. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thank God he's made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Man, that's what I want for my life. Even if it gets hard, I, I just like to press through so the glory of God can somehow be felt in people's lives. I'm so glad that Mother Teresa, that Billy Graham, that you are willing to let God use you even when it's hard sometimes to reach out to people so they could just sense the sweet perfume of God coming to their lives and say truly there is a God and he exists and turn their hearts to him. Third thought, we need to trust God and not in people. Now, I hope that all of you have people you can trust, but that's not what I said. I, I, don't, I don't think God wants you to trust in people. You trust in him alone. You trust people, but you trust in God. He's your ultimate source. I think that little thought right there is one of the biggest problems in marriage today, marriages, because... Either the husband or the spouse look to their partner as the one that should fulfill all their desires. And here's the problem with that. They can't. They're flesh and blood. They may be great, but they're going to disappoint you at some times. They won't do what you feel you need. And 
Sometimes you feel, I need this, and then you'll start to control them and tell them how they need to help you, and then they'll get all confused, and, 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 and then they may get embittered, and they are not your source. Your source is God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And when you get close to him, instead of telling them what they need to, do get, to get right, here's what will happen. He'll start to tell you what you need to do to make them feel loved and secure. And their whole attitude will change. And if they're fallen, he'll speak to them about loving you in the right way. And instead of pointing the finger at one another and saying, you're not doing this right, your focus will be, I want to love you because God is leading me to love you in a greater way. And when that starts to happen, two people start to bless each other that way. Unbelievable marriage starts to happen. Your spouse is not your source. Please don't do that to them. They can't, they can't fulfill the quotient. Only God. And we'll look to people. We, we look to our job as our source. We look to our dad as our source or our mother. And listen, they, God can come through them. He's the source. He can come through them and move through them to touch you and bless you. But even that's him when it's happening right. Trust in God. Here's why. Matthew 26, 40. Look what happened to Jesus, his best friends. Closest ones to him in life. He returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Another version, the flesh is weak. This is why we don't trust in flesh and blood and other people as our ultimate source. God is our ultimate source. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time. I mean, these are his best buddies. They're not there for him. They're really spiritual. Peter was the leader of all the church. Some call him the first pope. Way back there. And he's not getting it done to help his friend, Jesus Christ. He knows who Jesus is, and he's still not there for him because he's human. Then he came to the disciples, verse 45, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus was let down by his best friends, and you'll be let down by people. I don't want people to let you down, and I hope you have good people in your life that love you, and people can make a uh, can bring great blessing to your life. Don't get me wrong. But ultimate source has to be God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Your friends are flesh and blood, and they're weak. Your spouse is flesh and blood. They're not God. And Jesus shows us, here's why this is so important. Jesus shows us that when God is all you have, God is all you need. At the lowest point in your life, when you feel forsaken by everyone, he never, ever leaves or forsakes you. He's there at a point where depression and despair could overtake your heart. He can meet you and bring the freshness of his presence in your life. He can give you joy that's unspeakable, that's not dependent on the circumstances. No one else but the Prince of Peace can do that for you. I watch young ladies who grow up in homes with dads that aren't doing it right forsaking them, abusing them, not paying attention to them. I've watched as I've, through the years as a youth pastor and a pastor, as a one from one man to another, trying to get that feeling of being loved. Relationship after relationship failing. 
Let me say this. You can't even be the person that your spouse will need someday unless Jesus is number one. And when that starts to happen, you know that when he's all you have, he's really all you need. Oh, he'll send people around you. He'll still bless you. But there are going to be times where you, you need to keep the anchor in Jesus. God knows better than people. We, we think that people are the key, but they're not. We think that friendship and the friends we have now are the most important thing, and they're not. God's the most important thing. I, I, um, I felt the Lord wanted me to tell this story, so I, it may be just for a few people or for someone out there, but I, I think it'll apply enough for all of us. It's one of those things where I said, Lord, I'm not sure this is working in my sermon. <laughs> and I felt like he said, yeah, yeah, just do it. So here we go. Um, I was a ninth grader uh, living in Willows, California. If you've been down I-5, you've passed it. The only good thing there is a Starbucks. That's, that's the only good thing there. It's a high school, about 400 kids, a bunch, bunch of farmers, and fairly nice people, but um, I, I was a very outgoing kid and went to a lot of schools growing up and always had an easy time making friends because I just had a personality that would uh, go after and embrace people. But I, I could not make friends in Willows. They would not let me be a friend. And you know, when you show up in a town, you're kind of at their mercy, right? It's whatever, or a place, whatever they want is the way it is until they let you in. And they wouldn't let me in. And so I, w- I had a lo- very lonely year, probably the worst year of my adolescence. And um, about two-thirds through the year, I made a friend. And then I made a couple of them. And then I made a few of them. And then a couple girls actually talked to me. You know, I was a ninth grader, and I made a couple friends that were girls, and I I thought, cool, we got a breakthrough. This is great. You know, this this is not so bad now. And I went home one day shortly after. My dad announced to me that we were moving. And it had been so hard. I went into my room as as a ninth grader and just cried and cried and cried. Because all I could think was, we're going to go back. We're going to go to another place. The same thing's going to happen. I won't find friends. I'm going to be lonely can't we just stay? I begged him. But he said, son, I believe the Lord's calling us. So we went on. I didn't want God to take us away from Willows. We moved to Dallas, Oregon, and honest to goodness truth, the first day in Dallas was better than the last day in Willows. The quarterback of the football team, the most popular guy in the school, took me under his wing walked me to all of his friends, guys and girls, and introduced me as his friend the first day. I'll never forget Russ Henry for that. He didn't have to do that. That's why I like you, to be nice to visitors. Some people come in here feeling that way. Like God may not even want them, or maybe God doesn't like them. I like it when you like your friends, but here in this church, I like it better when you like the new people. Because you can be with your friends a lot beyond this place. They're coming to find out about Jesus for the first time, many of them. And you've got Jesus all over you, so I want you to love on them. So, if I'd have had my way, I would have been stuck in willows. The mascot for the high school team was the honkers. (laughs) I was on the freshman football team. They called us the goslings. Don't want to be in Willows. You want to be in Dallas. 
with the dragons, man. That's a mascot. All these bears, fire and they're gone. You know what? Lion, bear, dragons kill them, slay them all. Little did I know that not only would Dallas start out better, but there was an unbelievable beauty there named Karen. If I would have had my way, I probably don't meet that precious woman that became my wife. God, no, don't do it to me. Don't send me there. I love you too much to give you your way, son. We can trust him. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding or don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. And the last thought today, I'll do this point quickly. God sometimes works in ways that are mysterious to us but we can still trust. That story was a mystery to me, but I discovered it. Matthew 26, I mean, you know, we know what happened with Jesus. We know the story, but if someone comes to us, I mean, even the disciples, Jesus told them what was going to happen, and they're running around going, no, this can't be. This isn't right. It does not compute. Peter said, no, Lord, I, I won't let it happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The mystery was he was brought to this earth to be slain as the spotless lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But that's not logical to Peter. I might have been Peter in that sense. You might have been Peter saying, wait, 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 no, I love you. You shouldn't die. Matthew 26, 47, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs that had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas, ever notice nobody's child is named Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet them with the kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. And Jesus said, my friend. Now, I don't think Jesus is being facetious. I just want to stop and say that. I think Jesus really loves Judas. He's not mocking him. grace of God is so amazing, I can't even completely comprehend it. But that's the way he feels towards people who've really not only sinned, but tried to stop his work. He loves people. Now, he'll be your friend, but the only way you get to be friends if you, is, is if you decide you want him to be, right? Because he's for it. But Judas wasn't. And anybody, no matter where you've been or what you've done, if you just say, friend, Jesus, Prince of Peace, come into my heart, he will, because his grace is offered freely. Go ahead, Jesus said, do what you've come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Skipping to verse 56, and by the way, I don't have it down here, but in verse 54, he said, it must happen this way. Talking about the mysterious will of God. Verse 56, but... This is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. This is what he came to do. Didn't make sense to Peter and to the disciples who were running around trying to figure out what was going on even after they were told. It just felt too weird. But it was the complete will of God 
the mystery of God is sometimes hard to figure out, but you can always trust him. I'll close with this story from Draw the Circle, the devotional we're reading through. Karen and I cried together several times. Matter of fact, she was reading it, and she had to stop a few times and clear the tears, and we've read it before. Amazing story about some people who did something that wasn't logical because God was leading them. But you, you, you know, you, it's not just any thought that drops in your head, by the way. Let me just explain this, that God will give you something and he'll confirm it over and over again until you come to a point where you realize, I think I'm supposed to do this. It just, I, I just keep being pointed this way and his word and, and, and even um, spiritual leaders and his spirit, there'll be confirmation circumstances that will bring you to a place where you know what you're supposed to do, but you still have to do it. And sometimes, even though you know what you're supposed to do, it's not logical. Well, we see that in this story here. My friend, Dr. George Wood, this is Mark Batterson speaking. George has an amazing painting in his office of an African man standing on a high hillside overlooking the ocean. There's a large steamship on the horizon and a smaller canoe coming toward the shoreline. In this instance, the story is worth a thousand paintings. It symbolizes the importance of going before we're set or ready. In 1908, newly commissioned missionaries John and Jesse Perkins were on board a steamship rounding the coast of Liberia. They knew God had called them to Africa, but like Abraham, they didn't know exactly where God wanted them to go. That's a lot of faith to buy a ticket and get on a boat and say we're headed to Africa, but we don't know where we're getting off. But it happened. And by the way, history records the results, and so you can know this story is true because there's hundreds of churches that rose up because of this. So they purchased the tickets and trusted God would tell them where to get off. And as the ship made its way around Garraway Point in Liberia, Africa, they sensed the Holy Spirit prompting them to get off the ship. Unknown to the Perkinses, there was a young man living in that region named Jasper Toe. He was a God-fearing man who practiced the religious rituals passed down by his ancestors, but he had never heard the name of Jesus. And one night he looked up into the sky and he prayed a simple prayer. He said, if there is a God in heaven, help me find you just stop for a moment and say, do you know there are people praying that that are our neighbors in all the cities around us? God, if you're real, show me, help me. And that's why he needs us to be sold out so we can hear and be willing to go because we have something to do today. But he says, no, I'd like you to talk to them about me. I'd like you just to love on them until they're, they're eager to hear what you have to say about me. Jasper prayed, if there's a God in heaven, help me to find you. And Jasper stood under the stars and he heard a voice that he'd never heard speak to him before. Go to Garraway Beach. You'll see a box on the water with smoke coming out of it. And from that box on the water will come some people in a small box. These people in this small box will tell you how to find me. Jasper Toe traveled seven days on foot. Seven days on foot to Garraway Beach, arriving on Christmas Day, 1908. From the shore, sure enough, he saw a black box, a steamship, floating on the water with smoke coming out of it. 
And that is when John Perkins and his wife sensed the Holy Spirit. Say, get off the ship here. This is where I want you to go. When they went to the captain of the ship and asked him to let them off, he said, I can't let you off the boat here. This is cannibal country. People go in there and they never come back. And John Perkins insisted, God wants us to get off the boat. So the captain brought the steamship to a halt. The Perkinses were placed in a mammy chair that swung them down to the side of the ship and they got into a canoe with all their belongings and they rowed to shore in that little box. Mind you, there's no city on the shore, just shore. When they got to the shore, Jasper Toe was waiting to welcome them. He motioned for them to follow him, and they did. They could not speak each other's languages, but the Perkinses followed Jasper Toe all the way back to his village. Seven days, probably more with your belongings. They eventually learned the language of the people there. They started the first church in that village, and Jasper Toe was their first convert. Those who knew Jasper Toe described him as one of the godliest men that they had ever met. And his legacy is the hundreds of churches he helped establish in the country of Liberia. What if the Perkinses had ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit? What if they dismissed the God idea as a bad idea? What if they'd ask why instead of why not? What if they decided to play it safe and stay on the ship? But they were willing because they had prayed. They had their ear to the Father. And they were obedient when he spoke. They sacrificed. They endured. And they saw amazing miracles of God take place as a result. I hope you guys come back next week after this sermon because this, this, is, this, is this is God saying, give me everything. It'd be easier to go somewhere where it was a little more friendly message. I'll try to be more loving next week. How's that? But here's what it says in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What? God's asking you to be a living sacrifice for him holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's probably not many of you who sit here who'll be called to Africa, but God wants you to know you're all gonna be called to something as you surrender your life, and he will use you in a great way.